Hello, friends. I hope this finds you in good health and secure. Uh, we are in the midst of the parable chapter, the third chapter of the Lotus Sutra, Leon Hurwitz uh, translation. Um, I'm going to have to figure out a presentation. I had this wonderful question uh, asked. And it, it's so applicable. It's funny how that is, isn't it? <laughs> uh, with this parable, right, of this uh, wealthy man whose sons are completely preoccupied in their games and what they're playing, unaware that the house is burning down around them. Uh, so the father wants to, of course, save himself, but he's not going to save himself without making at least an attempt to get his sons out. And it occurs to him... I need, I need to fool them. I need to make them want to get out. Because no matter how much I scream at them, get out, get out, the place is on fire. Unless they decide, oh, crap, we need to get out of here. I can't move them. Well, that's much like Buddhism, isn't it? Trying to teach or give somebody insight so that they'll appreciate or, or discover their Buddha nature it's it's a it's folly it's just not going to happen people have to open their own minds right you can't reach in there and play with it like it's pudding or something right right put i'll put a few more folds in your cerebral cortex and you'll get this <laughs> of course it's silliness right people have to come to this on their own so he gives them an incentive he says, you know, what if you could do this? I remember my mom, a basket case of OCD and stress, and she just goes off very easily, right? And when I would talk to her, I would, she would start, I could hear her, you know, it's like playing with a puppy and it gets riled up. She would start winding up her neuropathy, or her neuroses, yeah. And I would say, you know, remember the Buddhist thing. What is that? She completely clued us about Buddhism. So I just, I taught her how to chant, that took a little while. And I said, so when you get nervous like this, that will help you to control your breathing. Sound familiar? Comes straight out of early Buddhist teachings, right? Learn how to control your breathing, mom. Just when you start, you know, when you're starting to get high, I, I say, I know, I know, she says. I said, so just take a moment, pick a, a plant. She loves her plants outside. Pick your garden. Just look at out your garden and get a hold of your breath. Don't worry about what you're thinking. Don't even think about what you're thinking if you can, or just let it run around. doesn't matter because what you're going to focus on is looking at your garden and breathing. And if you can't figure out how to hold, Get a hold of your breath, chant. Just Namo Myoho Renge Kyo. Namo Myoho Renge Kyo. With each breath, just say those, and just having to think about saying those syllables in the proper order and getting all of them out before you breathe in, it will help you control your breath. And I guarantee you, within 10 breaths, you'll feel more calm. And you know what? She started to do it. I had to remind her every now and again, but she began to do it. She doesn't know that she's working on her 
Buddha nature, her enlightenment. She has no even idea what that is. But I'm letting her do it. Yes? I'm giving her instruction. Yes, I'm talking about controlling breathing and I'm talking about calming her down. That's not the end goal of Buddhism. But it's helping her start. It's planting the seed. Right? So that's what this parable is about. And then the bigger side of the story is, well, hello, I'm teaching the Lotus Sutra. I'm teaching the ultimate teaching that of all the teachings I've been teaching for over 40 years. I'm doing the same thing with the teachings of experiencing, awakening, incorporating Buddha into daily life so that daily life can be experienced through this maximal potential experience. And this is, this is the parable, right? So this question I had was about, you know, I put up a video early this year uh, having a similar conversation with somebody else. And I, said, I think the title is, How Do I Fix Me? Right? We're all preoccupied with that. And many, many, many people who teach and learn Buddhism early on have, there's two main streams of delusion that, that um, drive me a little nuts about people who don't know how to teach Buddhism or teach it incorrectly. It's about... Uh, you know, getting things, samsaric things by chanting. You might as well get a, an Aladdin's lamp and start wishing for things. That's not Buddhism at all. Uh, but, you know, in Japan, there was a current of people, especially after World War II, who just wanted to rebuild their lives. So this association with material and, and getting back on their feet was made with chanting. But... It, that's that's not quite the same thing and there's reasons for that and you can be sympathetic, empathetic about that, but that's not the goal of practicing Buddhism, is it? It absolutely is not. In fact, that's exactly what we're trying to get away from. So there's a lot of misinformation about that out there. The other current that's quite common and we don't even think about it or talk about it all that much is that Somehow, by chanting, we're going to get rid of all our problems. We're going to fix all our relationships. We're going to have a you know, brilliant economy and blah, 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 blah. Once again, that's just another way of getting hooked into samsara. That's where the problem is. That's not where we want to go. We don't, we, the, the truth of the matter is that once you tap into your buddhaness, what you see quite clearly is that nothing needs fixing. The idea that there's something to fix is the cravings and clingings of samsara. That's just another way of manipulating ownership, control, the, all the realms of the lower realms, right? To hunger for a solution to be in the hell of indecision. 
<laughs> right? To be in Buddhaness is to slough off all of that preoccupation with problems, stuff, everything that precipitates your stresses and anxieties. So fixing something is just another stress and anxiety. It's an illusion. It's so hard to let go of that though, right? So we're not practicing Buddhism to fix ourselves. We're practicing Buddhism to experience life fully, to walk away, liberate ourselves from all that samsaric fall drawl. <laughs> ah, these old words. Anyway, I wanted to do something with, uh, I thought, magnets. You know how, uh, what if I told you that the entire cosmos, everything in it, everything constructed, fundamental particles beyond quiescent energy, all that, is the product of electromagnetism? Okay, let's just run with that for a moment. If everything fundamentally is electromagnetic, and I gave you a method, right? Let's call it the Tulip Sutra, and I show you how to instantiate in your mind and body a proper magnet, an electromagnetic field generator, a magnet. A magnet is an electromagnetic field container, holder, yeah? And by having this electromagnetic, don't run out and get magnets and stick them on your body now. That's something totally other. But just, just go with me for a minute. Have you ever seen those little science experiments where they stick little metal shavings, little, little, they look like little grains of rice, they're just metal shavings, and they spread them all over a piece of paper, and then they put a magnet under it, and they just kind of move it around so it shakes the paper, and all the little metal fragments, they all start to make a pattern of the electromagnetic shape, and they all start pointing at the magnet. Can you visualize that? I'd like to, I wonder if I could do that. I don't think I have a magnet. But just the visual of it, yeah? What I want you to consider is that when we chant and awaken our buddhaness, it's like we suddenly see that electromagnetic shape, that electromagnetic field, the field of Buddha, yeah? The pure land, the field of Buddha. And... All those little metal shavings are all our little cravings and clingings in samsara. They don't go away, but all of a sudden they make a beautiful pattern and they all start to align and point to Buddha. Is that a good visual? You're not fixing the metal shavings. They're still the metal shavings they always were. But now they're no longer obstacles. They're no longer distracting. They're all pointing and acting in service to the electromagnetic field of Buddha. I like it. I like that visual. I got to figure out how to make a little video of that. I think that might be a good visual tool. Another one of my quote unquote cheat sheets to put on threefoldlotus.com. I don't know. Okay. Keep that in mind, though, because that's exactly 
what Shakyamuni is talking about here, except he's not talking about magnets and metal shavings, he's talking about our mind, our sentience, yeah? So, he continues. Shariputra, having seen this, the Buddha then thinks, I am the father of the beings. I must rescue them from their woes and troubles and give them the joy of incalculable and limitless Buddha wisdom, thus causing them to frolic, just like the little metal shavings. Does that work? Let me know what you think. Let me, is it worth my making some kind of illustration or something? I'm no Dr. Seuss, but I could put something together. <laughs> Shariputra, the thus come one also has this thought. If merely by resort to my, my powers, my mental power, and the power of my knowledge, and casting aside expedient devices... For the beings' sake, I praise the thus come one's power of knowledge and insight and his fearlessness. The beings cannot thereby attain liberation. What is the reason? These beings who have not yet escaped from birth, old age, sickness, and death, care, grief, woe, and anguish, are being burned in the flaming house of the three worlds. So adhering craving, clinging to samsara, to stuff, to fixing, to so on and so forth, yeah? How can they understand the Buddha's wisdom? They, do, they won't stop paying attention to all the stuff they want, need, greed, all of that, long enough to understand what it might a world might be without that. Oh, no, no that can't be without that. They can't even consider it, yeah? Shariputra, just as that great man, though physically strong, did not use his strength, but by resort to a gentle, practical expedient, rescued his children from the troubles of the burning house, then gave each of them a great carriage adorned with precious jewels. Just so does the thus come one in the same way, though he has various sorts of strength, and fearlessness, refrain from using them, but merely by resort to wisdom and practical expedience, rescue the beings from the burning house of the three worlds, preaching to them three vehicles, those of voice-hearer, sharakas, of Pratyakabuddha, right, the, the isolated monk, the rhinoceros roaming through the forest, and of Buddha, enlightenment, and saying to them, you all are to have no desire to dwell in the burning house of the three worlds. Have no lust for coarse and broken down visible matters, sounds, smells, tastes, and tangibles, things. If clinging to them greedily, you display lust for them, then you shall be burned you'll be miserable. Quick, get out of the three worlds. You shall get three vehicles, those, those of voice-hearer, Pratyakabuddhas, and the Buddha. I now guarantee it, and I am never false. All you need do is strive earnestly with effort 
by such devices as this, the thus come one attracts and urges the beings. He also says, you all are to know that the dharmas of these three vehicles are praised by the great sages, and they who mount them are their own masters, unbound, depending on nothing, and seeking nothing, just being. Mounted on these three vehicles, one gains for oneself the pleasure of faculties, strengths, intuitive perceptions, paths, dhyana, concentrations, deliverances, samadhis, and the like, all without outflows, then gets incalculable, tranquil joys. Because everything falls into place. No stress. Shariputra, if there are beings who within are wise by nature, who having heard the Dharma from the world-honored one, believe and accept it, who earnestly striving and wishing to leave the three worlds, seek nirvana for themselves. These are named those who mount, the vehicle of the voice hearers. They are like those children who left the burning house in quest of goat-drawn carriages. If there are beings who, having heard the Dharma from the world-honored one, believe and accept it, who earnestly striving and seeking the knowledge which is so of itself, desire the quietude which is content with its own goodness and are deeply aware of the causes and conditions of the dharmas, well, these are called those who mount the vehicle of the Pratyakabuddhas. They are like those children who left the burning house in quest of the deer-drawn carriages. And if there are beings who, having heard the dharma from the world-honored one, believe and accept it, who vigorously practicing and striving, seek all knowledge, Buddha knowledge, the knowledge which is so of itself, knowledge without a teacher, the knowledge and insight of the thus come one, his strengths and his fearlessness, who mercifully recalling and comforting the incalculable living beings and benefits benefiting gods and men, convey all to deliverance. These are named those who mount the great vehicle. It is because the bodhisattvas seek this vehicle that they are named Mahasattva, great beings. They are like those children who leave the burning house in quest of the ox-drawn carriages, Shariputra. Just as that great man, seeing his children safely out of the burning house and in a place of safety, and thinking that he himself has wealth incalculable, presents his children equally with great carriages. Just so, in the same way, does the thus come one, being the father of all living beings, when he sees incalculable thousands of millions of beings going through the gateway of the Buddha's doctrine off the painful, fearful, and precipitous pathway of the three worlds, there to gain the joy of nirvana, just so, I say, does the thus come one at that time have this thought. I have a treasure house of incalculable, limitless knowledge, strengths, various sorts of fearlessness, other such Buddha dharmas. 
These living beings are all my children. Then he gives the great vehicle equally to all, not allowing any of them to gain passage into extinction for himself alone, but conveying them all to the extinction of the thus come one. The thus come one as other, because once they've attained it, they are the thus, we are the thus come one. When we enlighten, awaken, we thus come one. Hmm? To all these living beings who have escaped the three worlds, he gives the Buddha's dhyana concentration, their deliverances and other devices of enjoyment, all of one appearance, of one kind, all praised by the sages, all able to bring about the prime, pure, and subtle joy, Shariputra, just as that great man, first having enticed his children with three carriages and then having given them only one great carriage, adorned with jewels and supremely comfortable, is yet not guilty of falsehood. Just so in the same way is the thus come one free of falsehood. Once again, reiterating that just because this is such a radical new take on what I've been teaching for over 40 years, doesn't mean I've been lying all this time. I've just been bringing those of whatever capacity, whatever they needed to hear toward this goal. Relinquishing the hold on what it is that creates suffering, old age, death. It, it's not important. It's not even relevant. Life is happening now. Be in this life. Why? Because the thus come one, having a treasure house of incalculable wisdom, strength, various sorts of fearlessness, and other dharmas, is able to give the dharma of the great vehicle to all living beings, but they are not all able to accept it. Shariputra, for these reasons, be it known that the Buddhas, by resort to the power of expedient devices, divide the one Buddha vehicle and speak of three. But there are not three. There are just diff different ladders to climb, if you will, right? In order to achieve the ultimate goal. The Buddha, wishing to restate this meaning, proclaimed Gathas, saying, and here we go with our favorite part. Suppose that, for example, a great man had a great house. The house, since it was old, was in a state of collapse. The halls were lofty and precarious, the bases of the pillars crumbling and rotten, the beams and ridge posts aslant, the stairways and landings disintegrating, the walls and partitions cracked, the clay and the paint peeling off, the thatch worn thin and in disarray, the rafters and eave poles coming loose, totally misshapen and full of assorted filth. Ugh, who'd want to live there? But if that's what you're accustomed to, you kind of don't see it, right? At any rate. There were 500 persons dwelling within this house. Dwelling within. Kites, owls, and eagles. Kites is a type of small hawk. Crows, magpies, pigeons, and doves. 
newts, snakes, vipers, and gribbles. I don't know what the heck gribbles are. Centipedes and millipedes. Lizards and myriapods. Weasels, badgers, and mice. And other malignant beings. Milled back and forth in a crisscross. Places stinking of feces and urine. Overflowed with their filth. With mayflies and other insects clustered on them, foxes, wolves, and yigan, or yigan, a blind, emancipated tree dweller, something somewhat resembling a fox. Mm, what do you know? This is sound like an opium den, you know, or like we see in the show movies, you know, these, these uh, abandoned buildings where all the, uh, what do you call them? Ah, addicts. What's the word? Come on, Sylvain. Ah, junkies, right? Where they all hang out. Whatever. You know the stereotype. So this is painting a picture of a very destitute place. For a guy who has all the wealth in the world, <laughs> he's not taking care of his place very well, right? But let's just go on with the fable. Nod at trampled on and chewed up corpses, leaving the bones and flesh a mess. Thereupon, bands of dogs racing to the spot seized them, hungry, weak, and terrified, seeking food here and there, in their struggle, snatching and pulling one another, snarling, gnashing their teeth, and howling. We didn't hear any of this in the earlier story, right? I'm, I'm telling you, every time I read the Gatha portion, the verse portion of these sermons, it seems to go into much more detail on the lesson. I find that interesting, fascinating. At any rate, this is, this is another movie set here, right? That houses terrors and strange sights were of this kind. So maybe it wasn't that way. Maybe these were terrors and they were of this kind. And this is all, remember, Buddhism is about the mind. So this may be speaking much more to the life condition of those 500 people living in there. They're not interested in making the place nice and comfortable for themselves. They're just sort of slovenly, right, living in it, taking advantage of the old man, whatever. Here and there and all about were ghosts and demons. Well, we know those aren't real, except in the mind, yeah. Yakshas and evil spirits eating human flesh, varieties of poisonous insects and other malignant birds and beasts hatched from eggs, all defending themselves against one another. This is not a happy place. The yakshas would race to the spot, vying with one another to seize and eat them. While they had eaten their fill, when they had eaten their fills, their wicked thoughts would be all the more intense. Oh, what trouble can we create now? The sound of their quarrels was terrifying. The Kambanda demons, a kind of demon having testicles the shape of water jugs, <laughs> would squat on high ground. Or at times would rise above the earth a foot or two and then would wander back and forth amusing themselves according to their own fancy, seizing two legs of a dog or beating it so that it lost its bark Ugh. or trampling on its neck, terrifying the dogs for their own amusement. 
Again, there were demons, tall of body, naked, dark, and emaciated, constantly dwelling there, emitting loud and baneful sounds, howling in their quest for food. Again, there were demons whose throats were the shape of needles. I don't think he's describing a house anymore, is he? He's describing the three worlds of existence. The experience of samsara, the experience of uh, doggy dog, right? Competition, animality, insatiable hunger, isn't he? Yeah, all of that is resonating in this fable. Interesting. Always keep in mind, Buddhism is about the mind. So even though he's made a story here and he's crafted quite a story, He's still talking about the same thing. The experience of attached, dependent, avarice, greed, anger, animality, the lower realms, yes? Quite vividly, I would say. Again, there were demons whose heads were the shape of ox heads, who would now eat human flesh and would then devour dogs. The hair of, of their heads in a tousle, harmful, malignant, and dangerous, hard-pressed by hunger and thirst, hmm, howling as they ran back and forth, the yakshas and hungry demons, the malignant birds and beasts, facing all four ways in their acute hunger, would peer through the windows. The likes of these were the troubles and terrors incalculable. There you have it. The life conditions, yeah? This old and decayed house belonged to one man. The man had gone a short distance from the house when before he had been gone very long, in the rear apartment, suddenly a fire broke out. Looks like there's fire in my house. From all four sides, raging in flame, the ridge poles and beams, the rafters and pillars shaking and cracking with the sound of explosion, broke asunder and fell. While the walls and partitions collapsed, the ghosts and demons raised their voices in a scream, the eagles and other birds, as well as the kumbandas, milled out in a panic. They milled about in a panic. Unable to get out because they're panicked. They don't know what to do. The malignant beasts and poisonous insects hid in crevices. While the Pisaka demons, a kind of ogre, was also dwelt therein, who also dwelt therein, being of slight merit, when they were hard-pressed by the fire, wrought harm on one another. Get out of my way. Get out of my way. This is your fault. What are you going to do? So busy attacking one another, can't be bothered to get the hell out. Drinking blood and devouring flesh, since the bands of Yihakan were already dead, the great malignant beasts raced, racing to the spot devoured them, stinking smoke with its foul order, filled the place on all four sides. Centipedes and millipedes, as well as a variety of poisonous snakes, being buried by for the fire, vied with one another to get out of their holes, 
in the Kundambara or the Kumbara, Kumbadaka demons, seizing them at will, devoured them. Also the hungry demons, the tops of their heads aflame and tormented by hunger, thirst, and heat, ran about in agonized pain, panic. In this way, that house was extremely frightening. No kidding. <laughs> Sorry. With calamities, conflagrations, and many other troubles, hardly just the one, at that time the householder, standing outside the door, heard someone say, Your children, a while ago in play, entered this house. Being little and knowing nothing, they are enjoying themselves and clinging to their amusements, their diversions, their distractions, yeah? Amusing, pleasuring their skandhas, as we've read before. Having heard this, the great man entered the burning house in alarm. To save them from the catastrophe of burning, he uttered a warning to his children, explaining the many calamities, malignant demons, poisonous insects, and conflagrations are rampant. A multitude of woes in succession shall follow one another unceasingly. The poisonous stakes, snakes, the newts, the vipers, as well as the yaksas, the kumbanda uh, demons, the yegan, the foxes, the dogs, the eagles, kites, owls, and the variety of centipedes besides themselves with hunger and thirst are most frightening. Come on, kids, get the hell out of here. This is a woeful and troublesome place. How much more so with this great fire? The children, knowing nothing, eh, thought they heard their father's admonitions, though they heard their father's admonitions, still addicted as before to their pleasures, amused themselves ceaselessly. I'm almost done here. I got one more level to go. <laughs> At that time, the great man had this thought. The children, being this way, make my cares even more acute. Now this house has not one pleasant feature. Yet the children, steeped in their games, in their amusements, in their attachments, and not heeding my instructions, will surely be injured by the fire. The straight, then straight away, Intentionally devising some expedients, he announced to the children, um, um, I have various precious playthings, uh, lovely carriages adorned with fine jewels, goat-drawn carriages, deer-drawn carriages, and carriages drawn by great oxen. Now, outside the door, come out, all of you. For your sakes, I have made these carriages following the desire of your own thoughts. It's everything you want, right? You may amuse yourselves with them. When the children heard that, they thought, well, when the children heard him tell of the carriages such as these, straight away racing one another, I'm getting out there first. No, me first. No, me first. <laughs> right? They ran out at a gallop, reaching an empty spot, and getting away from the woes and troubles, 
The great man, seeing his children able to get out of the burning house and abiding at the crossroads, sat on his lion throne and joyfully said to himself, Now I'm happy. These children were very hard to bring into the world and raise. Foolish and little, and knowing nothing, they entered a dangerous house where there were many poisonous insects, frightful spirits, and raging flames of great fire rising up together from all four sides, yet these children were addicted to their games. I have already saved them, enabling them to escape trouble. It is for this reason, O men, that I am now happy, relieved, right? At that time, the children, knowing their father was serenely seated, Dad... (laughs) You know. <laughs> All went before their father and addressed him, saying, We uh, we beg you, give us the three kinds of uh, jeweled chariots that you promised us a while ago. Little, little brats. <laughs> saying, Children, come out. I will use three kinds of carriages to accord with your wishes. Now is the right time. Please give them to us. The great man, being very rich, was so happy that he saved them, even though they were ungrateful little brats, in my opinion. (laughs) And having treasure houses filled with gold, silver, and vidruya, giant clamshells and agate from many precious objects, had several carriages made, decked with ornaments, surrounded with handrails and shielding, with little bells hanging from all four sides, and golden cords intertwined, with pearl-studded netting stretched out over the top and gold-flowered tassels dropping down here and there, with assorted ornaments in many colors encircling them all around, with soft and fine silk and cotton made into cushions, with superbly fine mats, their value in the thousands of millions of whatever, pure white and spotless clean, covering them with great white oxen, fat and in the prime of their life, and endowed with great strength, their physical form lovely, yoked to the jeweled carriages with many footmen fore and aft, attending them these lovely carriages he gave equally to all the children. The children at this time dancing for joy and mounting these jeweled carriages, cavorted in all four directions, playing and enjoying themselves, completely at ease and feeling no encumbrances. He's giving them a reward for having taken the hint and gotten the hell out of the house, even though they don't seem to realize yet what just happened, yeah? I tell you, Shariputra, I too am like this. Being the most venerable among many sages, the father of the world, all the living beings, all my children are profoundly addicted to worldly pleasure and have no wise thoughts. The three spheres, completely insecure, are just like a house afire. Being full of many woes, most frightful, constantly marked by birth, old age, sickness, death, and care, worry, 
fires such as these, raging without cease. The thus come one, having already left the burning house of the three spheres, is quite quiet and unperturbed. Dwelling securely in forest and field, now these three spheres are all my possession. Not possession as in ownership, but possession as in taking the breath out of them? How could you say that? They no longer have hold on me. So in a way you possess them because they cease to have any influence on you. Good, bad, or different. Right? It's kind of like, um, this is a weird thing in language, but um, when somebody it takes away all of your uh, of somebody else's power over them they say i own you now although that's usually used to mean now i have power over you uh, language is difficult in this regard but that's what he's meaning here is i possess them because they no longer mean anything to me they don't have sway on me The living beings within them are all my children. This is the way I feel about everyone. They are all extensions of my very being because in each moment we all exist in this same moment, in the same way, instantiating over and over and over again in momentum. This is why your enlightenment is so important to mine. Because there is no separation. The separation is the illusion of samsara that sets up self and other. That's the illusion, primarily. Hmm? If that's not true, then there's nothing to fix. Because everything is here now, happening. Nothing to fix. Yet now these places have many cares and troubles from which I alone can save them or liberate them. Right? Shift your mind. Even though I teach and command, yet they neither believe nor accept. But to their training desires, their tainting desires, sorry, are so profoundly addicted that I, by resort to expedient device, Preach the three vehicles to them. I give them, like I've said before, here, here's, a, here's the uh, proverbial carrot. Here, go this way. Okay, that makes sense to me. Cool. Keep working on it. You'll get there. I can't keep this up on my shoulder today. What is going on? Come on now. There we go. Get you over here. Okay. <laughs> Causing the beings to know the woes of the three spheres and demonstrating and setting forth the supramundane way, if these children with fixed thought acquire fully the three wisdoms and the six supernatural penetrations, they shall include among them those who can be 
cause perceivers and non-backsliding bodhisattvas, oh, Shariputra, for the sake of beings as beings, I, by resort to this parable, preach the one Buddha vehicle. All of you, if you can, believe and accept these words, shall without exception completely attain to the Buddha path. This vehicle is fine, supremely pure, in all the worlds having not its master. It is a thing which they, whom the Buddha gladdens all living beings should praise, to which they should make offerings and do obeisance. It is incalculable thousands of millions of strengths and deliverances, dhyana concentrations and modes of knowledge, and other dharmas of the Buddhas, if they can gain this kind of vehicle. I enable those children, night and day, for a number of kalpas, ever to amuse themselves with bodhisattvas and the multitude of voice hearers, to mount this jeweled vehicle and to arrive directly at the platform of the way. For these reasons, Seek as you will in all ten directions. There is no other vehicle apart from the expedient devices of the Buddhas. Yeah, we've gone on a while now. How much further does he go? Yeah, this continues for a while. I tell you, Shaki, I tell you, Shariputra, you men are all my children. And on that note, we'll start there again in the next video. He is, this sutra is quite adamant, is it not? That to sever our constant, and it is more constant than we're aware, moment to moment to moment to moment, right? Look up moment again. See how brief that is. You can't fathom it. Reinstantiating our attachment to the samsaric identity. We're not trying to burn it down like the house. We're trying to make our attention, our adherence to it, null. When we chant to awaken Buddhaness, that's what we want, Buddhaness. We want to be in that paradigm shift of mind where everything is happening right now, all the time, everywhere, in concert with the complete energy of the cosmos coursing through us in its very instantiation, the amazing momentum of life. There's far too much going on in this moment to waste time negotiating footprints, right? Again, with the hiker. If you're the hiker, you can look back and look at your footprints, but that's not you. That's not the hiker. That's the past. That's not you. And you can dream about where you're going and see the path. That's all well and good. But that's not you breathing in the cool air or feeling the sweat in your, in your feet or your in your effort as you're making the hike, you are the hiker. You are the Buddha. Now, 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 now. 
that path, those footprints, of what value do they have? They're not living. It's as simple as that, really. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you. To take a moment, like and subscribe, has a great value to the mechanisms of this channel to support it, to tell more people about it. So thank you for that. If you can do more, if you can buy, you know, ebooks or books or so on and so forth, you know the links below. Lots of free information. You can share. You can tell people about the podcast. You can tell people about threefoldlows.com. Help them to help themselves. That's the Bodhisattva engagement, yeah? So with all of that, I will bid you adieu until the next video. With my thanks again and great appreciation, please take care of your health. Keep your practice strong. Mm, savor it. I'll see you in the next one. Okay, bye for now. Yeah.